Are you are you all still tunneling for the big water project? We are finishing up right now. So we're done tunneling. We're um, finishing up the like put car- pushing carrier line and uh, filling annular space and stuff at the water treatment plant on 24th Street. Uh, mm. Those are the last ones that we had. As for PCL, there there was we did three 96 inch tunnels there. But, Holy smokes! Yeah, all the rest are done. Wow. I went down. I didn't go quite into the treatment plant. I, I was just outside of it with uh, when Kiewit. Mm-hmm. Kiewit had the segment coming out of the plant. Yeah. But it was Aiken doing the actual work. So Correct. I was with yeah. Aiken with Kiewit. Right. And then with up in the preserve with, with Garney. Garney. Yeah. With Kiewit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That Which was is, weird how that all played out with Garney and Aiken doing super, like performing well, some of that yeah and how they explained it was they so kiwit bid it all but then the government went back to them and say no you guys have to put this out to bid and if you're beat they pick it up right and they were beat by, yeah by, yeah by, the whole but they still have the, the the whole contract i know it's this whole i don't know they seem to be really getting creative with the cmar process lately mm-hmm. and not just letting it be kind of true CMAR, but yeah, a lot more cost driven than I think the intent of that process is supposed to be. So it's been interesting. From from my understanding that that project costed a lot more money because it's all rock. Right. Yeah. And which is not ideal. Right. Well, and just that segment in particular, what they had to do to just get the neighborhood buy-in. Yeah. Um, because of it going, you know, through that area with the just the neighborhood and then through the preserve and everything there was so much redesign that happened kind of on an ongoing basis to keep everybody happy oh funny funny enough i grew up in that neighborhood so nice. it, it the so you water were one line, of the grumpy neighbors uh well we're, we're not there anymore i would have been one of the happy neighbors <laughs> yeah with a 395 right. in my neighborhood that was <laughs> exactly sweet. right yeah i know um but yeah it was <laughs> i went down there i think it was thanksgiving and they have this this 395 basically in someone's front yard. Right. <laughs> and, and you look at that. It's just so ridiculous. You're like, yeah, I can I can see how this would upset some people. Yeah. Uh, me, I, I like this is the view could not be better, but <laughs> I can I can understand some of the frustration here because this is ridiculous. Yeah. So we tunneled under at I think it was at 20th Street across like under Lincoln Glendale there. Um, yeah. And our bore pit was literally yeah in somebody like the corner of our bore pit was in somebody's front yard. And so that was, <laughs> thankfully they were cool. So that, that worked out, but yeah, the whole thing uh, has been really interesting. Okay. Well, you have been on dirt talk before. I have. Uh, it was a while ago. I don't remember when it was, but it was a while ago. I think it was 2020. 2020. Yeah. So that, that yeah. was definitely a while ago. So mm-hmm. two years ago. Yeah. Um, and we talked a little bit about, well, we talked a lot about the business. And then we got into mental health. If you can, you give people and you got since then, technically, it's, I don't know if the I don't know if your jobs changed much, but your your titles changed. My title has changed. Yeah. So, so can you give just provide a brief background? What the heck do you do professionally and what does SSC Underground do? Sure. So we're um, an underground construction company. We specialize in tunneling and other trenchless technology, along with vacuum excavating and hydrovac uh, work here in Phoenix, Arizona is where we're based. And we do majority of our work is Arizona. Um, and I am the VP of operations. So that was a title change in 
earlier this year, I think March, April-ish. Um, so I've been here for 24 years. So I've been here wow. for a long time and uh, have just kind of really evolved with the company and my role has changed. So I used to be primarily uh, focused on um, finance and accounting and then grew more into HR, risk management. And now um, over the last couple of years have become more involved with the operational side of things, um, you know, getting more involved with project management, estimating, things like that. So just continue to evolve. So is your, so uh, I guess that is, that's a different, that's a different role. So is your, is your role completely different day to day today than it was two years ago? It is. I still kind of have the same, some of the same responsibilities. I've hired more people on that are really good at those technical accounting things. So I've got really sharp gal in accounting now who does 95% of the financials and I just kind of do the final steps and stuff. So no, but absolutely as far as, especially with working um, with Arvid, who's the owner um, on estimating and things like that. So that's definitely grown and evolved and um, has been an eye-opening experience. Explain the need for tunneling. You say tunneling, I don't think people really get it. And I didn't get it until we worked with Midwest. We started working with Midwest Mole pretty early on. And the first jobs I went to, it was, you know, um, HDD and, and some things I'd seen before, but then we went down into a tunnel that was, it was all wood, wooden lagging. Mm-hmm. Then it was a big, large diameter tunnel and you're in this little cart driving through the tunnel and you're, you're just, I, you can't believe this stuff exists below. It was below a neighborhood. You're, you're right. just, you're, there's a little portal and then you go down in this tunnel and there's a whole world beneath this neighborhood. What's the, what's the application for tunneling where, where you all are in Arizona? So when you think of a big pipeline project going in, whether it's water or sewer or any other big utility project, and they're open cutting using excavators, um, you know, for miles at a time, and then you encounter something that can't be cut open. So whether Mm -hmm. it's a freeway or a major roadway, or, you know, even if you think about going down a roadway, um, so this drought pipeline project, as an example, uh, you know, Sunt's digging down 32nd Street, down the middle of 32nd Street, which is fine. You know, it causes traffic problems, but traffic can still flow. But when you come to a major intersection at Greenway Road, if you dug across that, you'd shut down a major arterial road for the period mm-hmm. of time that that's open. So we tunnel underneath of those segments of a project that can't be um, cut open. So we, underneath of a underneath of intersections or uh, freeways or railroad tracks or, you know, at the water treatment plant, um, we're going under all the existing lines that are there keeping that plant running on a daily basis. So we're, we're tunneling the segment that can't be cut open. We install, you know, so we primarily use steel casings, um, Mm -hmm. large steel casing, and then the utility line gets pushed through that uh, to then hook on to the portions that are being installed via open cut methods. And that project in particular, I think it's 66 inch water line, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere. There's different sizes. So yeah, so the uh, 32nd Street portion is 66 inch. The stuff in the water treatment plant is 72 inch or uh, might even be bigger. Um, some was 48 inch. So yeah, it kind of varied throughout the project, kind of depending on what what purpose that portion was serving. But it makes for a pretty big tunnel at the end of the day because it has to be, like you said, a bigger diameter than the actual pipe. 
Right. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of that, um, you know, we've dug over a thousand feet on that project with actually a skid steer inside of the steel casing. So that's how we we did it. Did it was with steel with a skid steer with a um, hammer bit or rotary attachment doing the digging, um, and then using our bore machines to just jack the casing into place. Seriously. So you yeah. had a, you had a skid steer in the casing. So you have now you're jealous, and, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's actually pretty cool. I, I I've never seen that before. So you had a skid steer advancing the casing. How are you removing the material? Was the skid steer also removing the material? Yeah. So the skid steer would go in, dig, dig out a little bit, use uh-huh. that, then switch out to a bucket attachment, move uh-huh. the material out, and then the bore machine would jack it into place. So the bore machine's still in the pit doing the jacking work. Yeah. The skid steer's inside doing the digging. That's crazy. Basically, I mean, it's like hand diggings, kind of the same principle, but right. instead yeah. of a dude with a hair, air, air spade, you're using a machine. Exactly. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I didn't even still know you could do still that. need the the guy with the jackhammer to do the trimming around the yeah. you know edge to make it into the the circle um, to sure. be able to jack it. But eighty five percent of the digging was done with the skid steer. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so now that we've talked shop a little bit, you where did the whole um, construction industry, suicide prevention deal come about? When when did you get involved with suicide in the industry in general? Yeah, it's been over six years now, which is crazy to think about because it seems like we're still just getting started. Um, end of 2015, uh, brought to my attention at a, that was when I was in my, my more accounting finance role. And so I was part of CFMA. Um, mm-hmm. And it was brought to us uh, as kind of anecdotal observation that it seemed like construction workers were at an increased risk for suicide. Um, so our local chapter here uh, decided to take it on. And we held a summit in 2016, a suicide prevention summit, brought together some experts um, on suicide. Uh, Sally Spencer-Thomas, who I know you talked to recently. Um, yeah. Cal Buyer was kind of who got this all started in the industry. He's been in the industry and risk management for a long time. At the time, he was working for an asphalt um, contractor. Um, and then some, you know, just local contractors here uh, got together with the, brought together um, about 100 local contractors, pe- you know, people from contractors here in Phoenix with um, people from uh mental health and suicide prevention organizations um, and held the summit and kind of learned about it for the first time together. And mm-hmm. that really just caught on and it exploded. And so other people throughout the country replicated it. And so that was in April of 2016. And then in um, July 1st, 2016, the CDC released the first study that ranked suicide deaths by occupation and um, construction was uh, ranked the most, the highest, had the highest rate of suicide of any industry. Um, so it really kind of catalyzed our, you know, what we were doing. It wasn't just kind of, it seems like it might be at risk anymore. It really, really was, but we had kind of started already taking action. So, um, I just, that was, that was the beginning. And since then we've just been, um, you know, some days it feels like we're making great strides and gaining huge momentum. And then you talk to five people that have absolutely no idea and have never heard these statistics before. So um, there's a lot of work to do, but it's definitely, um, you know, uh, you know, you think about five times as many construction workers uh, die by suicide in any year as die by workplace, you know, physical job related fatalities. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about the, just the impact um, that that has on the whole industry um it's it's something that we need to keep talking about well that is the really the one statistic you need to hear to just 
realize, oh my word, there's a big problem here because anybody in the industry knows how much money and time and effort is put into safety, 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 safety. That's fantastic. But then you have this, this figure that's five times that everybody's saying zero, you know, nothing. We, we can't, our, these people's lives are our number one priority, this and that. And the other figure over here that is, is you, you can't ignore it. And yet it's kind of being ignored at the same time before 2016. Was really anybody talking about this in the industry? I had never heard about it. I think it was yeah. maybe November 2015 when I was at that meeting and I heard it for the first time and I was blown away. And yeah, yeah that was, it was unheard of. To go to your comment on progress. So this month is Suicide Awareness Month is September every year, correct? Correct. Yeah. So I've seen actually quite a few construction companies talking about this this year. I think this is the first year where I've really noticed people, and maybe it's been in subsequent years as well, I'm sure it has, but this is the first year I've really noticed people, companies talking about it consistently. It's like every day I open social media, some company, you know, um, uh, Miller Brothers was was doing it the other day, Blunt, I just saw, it. it's it's just, you go down, the, you go down the, the feed, it comes up a lot, which is fantastic. But then in talking to people, like you said, there are still so many people that don't recognize it's a problem. Right. And I'm, I've still never heard it talked about in a safety meeting. Mental health? Nope. We don't talk about that. It's all about tying off. It's all about wearing your PPE. It's all about drinking your water. All that's important. But I still haven't heard it talked about on job sites at all at this point. Well, and think about if somebody's struggling with a mental health issue of kind of any caliber, and especially if they're at the point that they're considering suicide, they're definitely not going to be safe. You know, that's kind of your biggest number one safety concern you have to get over because um, they're mentally, you know, the first the first thing is you tell people you got to think about safety. You've got to prioritize safety. You've got to put safety at the first, you know, step of everything that you do. Well, if you're, you know, if you're in that state of kind of mental anguish, you're not going to be making safe choices and you're going to be putting your own physical safety as well, along with the rest, everybody else on the job site. So the fact mm -hmm. that it's not kind of, Step one on safety, you know, is your head in the game or is it is something else going on that needs attention? Um, you know, to me, that's it's kind of a no brainer where where we have to start well, all safety I, I, conversations. Yeah, I've been in I've been in a situation where it's, you know, anxiety or something like that. It just gets your brain to a point where you can't focus on anything. You're in this cloud and you're still navigating life. But to be getting into a machine navigating around people or whatever it is, that is a very clear safety concern. And I haven't been to the point where I'm considering suicide. I mean, to be in that level of anguish, <laughs> I've been in anguish, but to be at that level of anguish, that's, yeah, you, you, you cannot be, you cannot be all there mentally. And to just ignore that is, is insane to make safety just what we can see. Well, <laughs> I mean, if somebody is struggling that bad, they get into a machine, their mind is not on that job site with that machine. And that's when you can really cause accidents. So if you want to make it just a safety concern thing, that's probably one of the biggest safety concerns I could think of. Yeah. Well, think about any accident. You do a root cause analysis. It's like it's hard. You're hard pressed to not if you really drive deep, you know, what's the root cause? Your mind, your your mind clearly wasn't on 
what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And so if it's on something else. And so, yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, I don't, I don't understand how that complete connection hasn't been made yet. Um, it's definitely starting. And I think some, I think some people are starting to include it in the safety discussion. Um, but I don't, yeah, I, I can't quite understand how it hasn't moved up, um, sort of the level of urgency um, as far as being really addressed from that safety perspective um, more so than it has. Why don't you think it's been urgent? Because I, I, you hear the statistic, you're like, yeah, this, this, is, this is pretty urgent. And yet it's, it's not necessarily as urgent as I think we would hope it to be. Why do you think it's not been urgent? I think it's harder to fix than a lot of other safety issues. So it's not just adding new more PPE or mm-hmm. changing our tie-off procedures or implementing new lockout tagout processes, you know, it's a, it, you're dealing more with the person. So it's anytime you're dealing with something that's solely based on people, it's harder to, it's harder to handle. It's sort of like, you know, the workforce issue, you know, to me, they go so hand in hand. Cause it's like, what's the workforce issue? It's like, it's it's culturally how are we handling, treating, addressing people in the workforce? Um, it's the same as this. You know, it's it's not as easy as advertising in a different place. You know, for people, that's not going to solve the workforce issue. It's and it's same same thing. Same thing as this. You can't just implement a new policy. You know, buy some new training. You know, whatever it is. It's it's got to be holistic and really people focused. Um, and that's that's hard to it's hard to figure out. I felt like people don't almost don't want to hear that they they and we've been trying to figure out this people thing for years now we're getting closer closer but we're still just a like just a ridiculously far distance away from actually making significant strides um i i i think it's it's this industry is so measurable in a lot of ways you can you can measure fuel burn equipment hours materials production everybody likes the measurable stuff cuz the industry is measurable but then people are squishy and they just want a measurable fix to fix the people thing. But that's not how human beings work, which is good. That's what makes human beings human beings. And that, in theory, per everybody, that is your competitive advantage is not the equipment, not your processes. You guys are a specialty contractor. So, yeah, there, there's a little bit of, of competitive edge in what you do and how you do it. But it's really your people at the end of the day. But that's not how it's not how contractors act, because I think it's foreign. Because I think it's hard to measure, it's hard to put dollars to, it's hard to look at it month two and say, "Wow, we're much better than month one." Um, but that's that's what's needed, I think. And like you said, this is so tied to workforce development. If we can, if we can help mental health, I, I'm going all over the place right now. It's it's it pisses me off when everybody treats the workforce problem as just an input problem. Right. We just need to input more. We just right. need to get into high schools. That's our problem. If we put more people in because they're, you know, colleges are lying or whatever it is, if we get more people in, we're, we're good. And it's like, no, no, that's, that's, that's not it. That's part of it. Absolutely. That's a huge part of it. That's where I started telling the story. But I've recognized this industry is, is broken in a lot of ways. And you can't look at a figure like this five times, number one out of any industry and say the industry is not broken. <laughs> you, 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 you can't. You can't dispute that. It has to come from both angles. And that's what this conversation is about. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, when you 
when you talk about measurables and statistics, that's the one thing that as you know, you talk to new contractors that are just hearing about this for the first time and they say, well, how many, how have you, how has the statistics changed? How many, you know, you've been doing this for six years. How many lives have you saved? Mm. <laughs> you go, I don't, that's not measurable. And that's another thing that's really hard with this is because it is so personal and private and not report, you know, it's not going to get reported in your OSHA 300 form. So it's not measurable. And so people have a hard time saying they're going to invest in it because there's no real kind of proof that what you're doing is going to make a difference. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, we're, you know, when you say about the industry and, and fixing the industry, um, it's this fine line, right? Because we love the industry and we love the people in the industry. And so you don't want to paint this picture that it's the, you know, the people in the industry are so broken and that's why they're dying by suicide. Mm-hmm. But it's like, how do we, how do we shape, um, how do we shape the industry? How do we build, I call them protective factors. So how do we build protective factors around the risks that we know that are in the industry? And to me, that's, this is where it aligns with the workforce thing. It's my kind of pitch is compelling contractors to create caring cultures. So creating cultures where people feel safe to ask for help for themselves or for a coworker, um, that's going to go along with all these other things, you know, with the management training, with leadership development, with, um, you know, a culture where people feel valued and more than just a number, you know, they're not just a replaceable person, but they, they matter, they have worth. Um, it all, it's really, it's a, it's a big issue. And yet to see, you know, and I kind of have that vision at the end of the <laughs> kind of the glowing end vision, it's like, how amazing will this be? Um, when people are longing and dying to come, you know, they're just, they can't wait to come to work in construction because it's, it's mm. the cool place to be. It's the new, you know, Google or, you know, Apple or, you know, whatever these, you know, current cool places to work are, um, when construction can become that, um, I think a big part of it is, is when it's a, in a when it's a safe place holistically for people to be. It's, it's a tricky conversation to navigate because con- there's, there's big egos in construction. And so to say, yeah, your 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 workforce problem is is kind of your problem, kind of your doing. And there's a lot of things you could be doing better to solve. It d- doesn't go very well a lot of times. And I've learned this. I have a f- almost five year history of telling contractors they're doing it wrong, and it hasn't worked out for me very well. I'm still broke. Um, and I I say that in a, a funny way, but it's I've I've started to get a little bit better at being a little bit more tactful at it. But the this conversation's tricky because it's people don't, I don't think they want to acknowledge it, but by acknowledging it, they're admitting that they have a problem and that's a hard first step. So it's, it's so obvious. It's like, yes, of course that we're going to do something about it, but it it's immediately a hit to the ego to get over that, to actually get to something, you know, get to somewhere where you can do something about it. Mm-hmm. And even that first step is is tricky to navigate. At least I found it's tricky to yeah. navigate. So here's how, and I've recently been really having these deep thoughts about this because again, same thing. If you just go in and say, you know, this is broke or it's the industry's fault, you want, you know, you run, kind of run into this wall of resistance. Yeah. So thinking about it from the aspect <clears throat> of what makes the industry so at risk for all of these suicide deaths. And there's definitely industry-related risk factors and you know, we can kind of talk about those, but the kind of at the core of it, as I really look at it is when we look at what's great about the industry. So 
the, the with the people in the industry. Strong, tough, gritty, perseverant, get it done at all costs, solve all the problems, you know, all of that. Those are the great things. That's why, you know, those are the poster children for, you know, why to get into construction. Cause look at mm. look at these amazing people who do these things. Well, those same things turned, flipped a little bit, added with some personal stress, um, pressure that they can't deal with at work, uh, all an addiction, you know, a, a substance misuse issue, all of those things, then they become barriers to, to getting help, to being open to somebody helping, to being open to asking for help and trying to solve it yourself. And you end up in this and that's how things spiral and then end up at the point of suicide. So the person who all day long can solve problems at work and figure out, you know, I'm going to, this is how I'm going to get through this soil that nobody's, you know, people say we can't dig through. And this is how I'm going to fix this, you know, issue. And I don't, I don't need help. I don't need, you know, nobody can, nobody has to tell me what to do. I'm going to figure it out myself. Well, then if you put that with a mental health issue, that's, that's the problem. You know, we've got to be able mm. to get people to be more open to, to teamwork, to collaborating, to, you know, all of that stuff without taking away the toughness. You know, we don't want to lose that toughness. We don't want to lose that ability to get things done. And so if we can frame it more from a perspective of here's the reality of we're dealing with, but this is the risks that can go along with that reality. So it's yeah. not changing. It's not fixing so much as how do we recognize the weaknesses and the liabilities that this brings on and how do we build those protective factors around them? And I think that's the model for solving the workforce problem in general. I think everybody's so afraid of, oh, oh, so we have to make the industry, you know, soft and add nap pods in every job site to attract millennials. Like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. The the, the work hard, the outdoors, the tough, that's actually... I think that's the key differentiator of this industry versus other industries. That's what makes it special. But then there's this additional layer of caring that we need to apply onto everything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't get rid of all of that. It actually nurtures that further. Uh, but it's, it's this missing sense of caring that we need to add. I think that's a good way to put it. And as you were talking, I was thinking too, from an ego standpoint, okay, great. From a company standpoint, it's hard to admit there's an issue and they need to do something. As from an individual standpoint, if you're the tough guy, if you've always been hammering it out, you've always solved the problems, you've been in, you know, if I need to be in the bore pit with water up to my waist for 24 hours to get the job done, that's that's who I am. To admit that you're struggling mentally, that is also a, a hit to the ego. That's that's Absolutely. a tricky, that's a tricky thing to navigate as an individual, especially if you haven't been there before. I mean, it was like when I first had anxiety. I had nothing, nothing, nothing. And then mid twenties, just out of nowhere, you're like, what is happening right now? And you're trying to figure out what the hell it even is. You've never felt it before. It's completely unfamiliar. And then you're having to recognize that I might actually have a problem here (laughs) instead of uh, going to the bar and drinking and hoping to just suppress it for long enough where it goes away and I don't have to worry about it for a little bit. Um, so on the on the company side, it's tricky, and on the individual side, it's a tricky place to navigate as well. Yeah, so that's where so two things that come out of that. So one, you know, you say go to the bar and drink it away. So that's the real that's the gap that we have to close. So there's, you know, it's as you know, kind of best case estimates. It's twenty five to you know twenty to twenty five percent of working age adults are experience will experience a mental health condition kind of during their course of life of work, you know, during their working life. 
and less than 60% of those actually get help for it. So mm. that that probably close to half that isn't getting any help, that isn't talking about it, that isn't you know dealing with it in a healthy way. It's not like it's just going away, but they're dealing with it in other ways. And a lot of times it's through you know substance abuse or misuse. And so which then adds to, you know, then when you add, when you look at that from a construction perspective and the safety risks and that, and the, are we missing out on workforce because they're failing drug tests because they're, that's how they're coping, you know, with life. And mm. so we can't hire them because they're failing drug tests. And, you know, so, you know, that really gets into the spiral. And then that, that feeling, that ego feeling, and that's where, um, you know, stories and storytelling and leaders sharing stories and, support is so important. So, you know, you speaking up and saying, you know, I'm deal I've dealt with anxiety, I go to a counselor, you know, that's so important. And if we can get more people in leadership, like respected leadership positions to speak up and say, these are real issues that I've dealt with. And it doesn't even have to be mental health. You know, that's the thing is it can be, I, you know, I got divorced and it was awful. And, you know, I really didn't know how he's going to get through it. But this is what I did to get through that time. And there's hope on the other side. So it's it's giving people that picture of hope. So it's first giving them permission that it's okay to ask for help, that it doesn't make them less than weak, you know, something somebody to me made fun of giving them that permission, but then also that picture of hope of, yeah, it's, there's, there's ways to get through this. There's healthy ways to get through this. And there's hope on the other side because suicide happens when hope is gone. That's the, that's the kind of recipe mm. for suicide is, is complete hopelessness and it's never going to get better. There's no way out of this problem. There's no, there's no light, you know, at the end of the tunnel. Um, and, uh, you know, I, there is really no other answer than, um, you know, to take, to take your life. So that's, that, those leadership stories that give permission and and give hope um, so important if we can get more of them out there. Um, and I say leadership, but it's also peer, right? So peer people, you know, people in the industry that peers can look up to. But that, but that is leadership. That's right. that's that's leading. I think people have equated leadership to management or title. It's like no, 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 no. Everybody's a leader. Leaders influencing human behavior, and everybody influences other humans. Everybody. If you're in a relationship. You're influencing each other. That's that's all relationship is. <laughs> right. It's it's nonstop leadership. If you're applying good, you know, if you understand leadership and and the principles of it, I think like yeah, one of the best things I've done is just talk about this stuff. And yeah, it's scary at first. Yeah, it feels a little. It, it just doesn't sit right. You're like, oh, I I should not be putting this out there. And even today, I still struggle with if I'm feeling bad putting it out there because it's like, well, I don't want to appear one, if I'm pandering I, uh, for attention or whatever Two, I, I, I don't want the attention. I'm good. Like I, I have this, I'm in, I'm in a place where I've figured it out. I'm in therapy. I'm healthy. Like I'm, I'm chilling right now. I'm just having a bad day. My emotions are all out of whack. My anxiety's bad. And I'm just articulating that. So you can, you can say, oh, okay. So here's another person talking about it. That doesn't make me feel a little less crazy. It's amazing how many people reach out about it. Mm -hmm. Amazing how many people every single time, every single time. I get so many messages when I say, like the last time I had terrible anxiety. It was probably six weeks ago. I was up all night. I hadn't had it in a while. And all I said on, on Instagram was, you know, raise your hand if you're anxious today. And I, you know, I'm an idiot with my hand raised. So many messages from people. Yep. Yep. Me too. Just saying me too. Me too. Me too. Right. And that, 
it's so powerful. It's probably the single best thing I've done from a mental health leadership standpoint is just share my perspective, not tell people what they should be doing. Oh, you should go to therapy. You should do this. You should. Here's what I do. Here's what's worked for me. And here's why it's been awesome. Here's right. all of the benefits I've seen. And uh, it's really caused a lot of people around me to evaluate their lives and to take steps I don't think they would have otherwise, which is it just, it, mind-blowing. Right. Yeah. And that's the, and that's where if we can get, and I think that's going to be one of the hurdles in this industry is to get people to share their stories. Cause like, I've got some success stories here of people that I've worked with just, you know, on our team here. Um, but they don't want, they're totally okay with me kind of knowing their journey, but they don't, they're not comfortable enough to share it out yet. And so that's going to be one of the hurdles that we have to overcome. And trustingly, just with time, as we talk about this more, um, that's going to come. But in the meantime, it's our job as people in positions of influence that can encourage people who we, you know, see risk factors in, who we see warning factors, um, you know, encouraging them to, um, you know, get help to talk to people to, and give them that hope that they need. Um, and this, this could be completely off base. I think, m- m- well, I, I, most people, I feel like are afraid to share because it makes them feel weak or whatever it is. I think it goes back to the tribalism that's wired into our brain. We want to be part of the community. We don't want to be uh, estranged from our tribe because if we are, we're screwed. That's not how our survival works. Not that we live in that world anymore, but that's still how our brain thinks. And so if I tell people that I'm struggling today mentally, they're going to view me as weak and cast me out. I have found, ironically enough, to be the opposite to be true, complete opposite. You are viewed as stronger as a leader. You are viewed as a human being. You are viewed as more relatable. You are viewed as somebody people look up to, which again, that was never my intent, but it's an amazing side effect of sharing. I have found nothing but positivity out of talking about this stuff. And it doesn't have to be big at first. It just try something small but talking about it, it's really scary because, yeah, maybe I'm going to get cast out. Maybe they're going to view me as weak and I'm a leader. I can't be weak. But it makes you, it makes them view you as much stronger than they actually view you today, which if people understand that and can get past that initial point, start sharing, start recognizing the benefit of it, you can create massive change, massive change that way. And it just starts with being vulnerable. And I think that's the, you know, where we might have to start even just, but, you know, take a step back from mental health, but just being vulnerable with real life, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, we recently had a, we've had a kind of bad run of some safety issues here and some injuries and stuff. And, you know, I sat everybody down and I had everybody in a room and I cried. I said, this, <laughs> this sucks. Like, I don't like feeling responsible for people who are going home hurt. Like this isn't Mm -hmm. my job. And so, and it's obviously, you know, different because I'm a girl. So I have, you know, permission to cry or whatever, but I don't (laughs) take up a habit of crying in front of, you know, our entire team of crews. And so it's, but then that, that opened the door and then other people share, you know, the crew, you know, one poor foreman, he's had two people get hurt on his job. And he, he was really open to speak up and say, you know, like, I hate feeling this way, you know, and just even using those words, feelings, you know, even mm-hmm. if we're not, even if it's not directly tied to mental health, but how often do you talk about how you're feeling? You know, I, you know, I feel angry that this happened on my job site. I feel really bad that these people are hurt, you know, using those, those words. Um, 
And so it's, it's, you know, maybe we're too focused on, well, we're not too focused on mental health, but it's like, it's taking that step back. And that's where it goes into this culture thing. If you can create that, those culture and those spaces where people are okay to feel vulnerable and express feelings, um, whatever it's about, whether it's about, you know, injuries that have taken place or a job that went really bad, you know, like, I feel bad that the job went like this. And this is, this is how I feel it could have gone better, but creating those environments where it's not, um, kind of beating up over things and, and always kind of going towards the disciplinary approach of, you know, what could you have done better, but really talk about things and, and get feelings out on the table and just starting that vulnerability, because then that's what's going to lead people to step by step incrementally feel more secure to talk about more personal and private things. Um, and then it's creating those, uh, those teams. And that's where I think like with the work, you know, again, kind of tying back to the workforce thing, I think what people want environments where they feel part of a team. And so if you've just got crews that are constantly rotating and people aren't working together enough to, Mm -hmm. to kind of form those bonds and teams, that's, one, people are going to be more apt to leave because they don't really care. They don't have those personal relationships. But you also are going to lose out on that opportunity for people to watch out for each other and have yeah. some of these conversations. Because if you don't know people, if you don't, if you haven't built enough trust to feel safe around people, um, none of this is ever going to, you know, go anywhere. Because you have to, you have to feel, you have to have that trust and feel safe, and that just takes time um, with, you know, spending time with people to build that. Well, you need the trust, and then sometimes you need to recognize eh, they're they're off today, they're off, mm-hmm. and I don't know what's right. going on, but something's off here, and uh, and and maybe just that, just that realization opens that door. You have mm-hmm. the trust for that person with that person, then you can have have that conversation. And with all of this, it sounds kind of crazy, but especially workforce development. I mean, mental health, preventing suicide. All of this, and I have to look at it from a company's perspective. I, when I say, hey, we need to care for people more. We need to, to, to solve our workforce problem. I'm not telling all these companies to make less money. So solve your workforce problem. You need to make less money. No, I am so fired up about it because if you care for your people, if you build these teams, if you, if you train people on how to even just talk with one another, people don't even know how to talk on a job site. If you train them just to talk with one another, they're going to be better off. They're going to come to work feeling good about what they do. They're going to recognize that they're making a difference in the world. They're going to be more productive. They're going to be uh, more efficient. And then they're going to make you more money. And then you'll have more money to invest in them and to continue the cycle even more. And then it doesn't just stay within your company. Then those people, they're feeling good about what they do. They want their children to be in the construction industry. Now they can talk to their spouse in a different way that changes their relationship. It's, it's so much impact that you can create through this sense of caring and everybody wins. Individuals win, companies win, community wins, everybody wins. There's no losing part of this equation. And yet I think it, companies look at it like, I need to give something up to get this in return. It's like, no, 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 no. Maybe temporarily you do. Maybe you do need to slow down just a little bit, but you're going to be able to speed up so much more down the road. And it's not even that far down the road. It could be next month that you could see some benefit here by just simply telling someone you're doing a good job, by simply just giving someone appreciation. So 
it all just makes a lot of sense. And yet there's been, there's a lot of decades of doing things one way. So there's a lot to unravel at the same time. Yeah. So a couple of things you said that noticing something's off, you know, that's the thing is when you think about warning signs for, you know, uh, suicide, they're changes, they're changes in behaviors. They're not because people are all different, right? Like you've got, you know, we've got guys here who are real kind of gloomy people, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, and yeah. it's just who they are. It doesn't mean that anything's wrong. It's just, that's their personality. So you know that if you've worked with them, you also have people who are, you know, super upbeat and positive. Well, if you, if you've always worked with the gloomy person and suddenly you're working with the upbeat and positive person one day and they're gloomy, you're just going to think, oh, that's just how people are. You, you're not going to recognize that person might have something going on because this is a real change in, in who they are. And so, yeah, you've got to be able to... None of this works if we don't know the people we work with, I guess, is you know, kind of bottom line starting point. Um, and then that sense of purpose, you know, beyond like the workforce, that's how we're going to get people in is care about the fact of, you know, I'm being a part of building this, that's going to make this difference with, you know, when you talk about hopelessness, if you have no purpose, if you have no sense of purpose and you don't mm-hmm. know what your purpose is, um, that's a huge contributor to that hopelessness and the industry. I think, you know, there's people who work in this industry and of course it's starting to turn, but for, a lot of years, it was kind of seen as uh, you clearly don't have, you're not really doing anything with your life if if all you're doing is digging ditches kind of thing. And so it's that that worldview of, okay, I've got all this crap going on personally. I've got this mental stuff going on that I don't know how to deal with. And basically the world tells me I'm, you know, nothing if this is my job. So what's the point? So yeah, it's all also wrapped up. And so if we can, you know, give people that sense of purpose, um, I think that's just even a huge, huge step of progress in all of this. Well, that, that shows the disconnect here. The industry that, that I serve, that you work in, that you serve, it has remarkable purpose, huge. really meaningful, yeah. pur- like the water, the, the, the water project we were just right. talking about. Yeah. Okay. So that, that project, for example, the top half of Phoenix gets cut off in certain drought conditions because of water rights. That project is to make sure that there's a hundred million gallons available from the other half of Phoenix to a million people or whatever it is at the flip of a switch. Not that simple, but pretty much that simple. That is insane. And you could not do that without the tunnels you're creating. I mean, coming to work knowing that, wow, I am making a difference in hundreds of thousands of people's lives and something as simple as drinking water. I mean, look at Mississippi right now. They don't have drinking water. Everybody, nothing matters when you don't have water to your house. And so that's so amazing. And yet we're still number one by industry for suicide because of that hopelessness, because of that lack of purpose. It's like, damn, that, that shows that there's that disconnect. The, mm-hmm. the good news is the purpose is really there. So we don't have to lie about it. We don't have to manufacture it. Yeah, like we, the don't financial have to fake, industry. Yeah, we don't have to make it yeah. up. Yeah. You know, like, like a lot of these other industries that I think are total nonsense, but, uh, but, but that means we have a lot of work to do because there should not be that that glaring disconnect between our industry and people believing, showing up to work, understanding the role they serve in society. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm listening to this as a company. I don't have, I've never talked about mental health before as a business. I understand the importance of talking about this. What what would you do? What are the first steps I can take as a business to start making a difference here? 
So start talking about it. Uh, so if you do have if you do have any sort of lived experience yourself, or you know somebody in the company that does that would be willing to share, um, start talking about it. Um, mm. Start talking about it at safety meetings. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that we have made the headway we have, even though some days it feels really small, uh, is because we do have this safety culture in construction that has come a long way over the past several decades of improving. Um, you know, 30 years ago, we would have been talking about the fact of like people are dying because they're falling off of things and they're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. You know, now we've, we've moved yeah. past that where we've made good strides. So um, we do have this safety culture where we have these opportunities to talk about it in a way that people are already used to. They're already used to having safety talks. They're already used to having safety meetings. So let's broaden that out and let's make it about the whole person. So it's, it's total total human health, total worker safety, not just their physical safety. Um, talking about the fact that, you know, behavior-based safety, that's, you know, I'm sure everybody's safety policy has that written into it at somewhere because certain people require that to be. Well, behaviors are driven by the brain. So talk about the fact that if you're not functioning at full capacity, if something's going on that you're struggling with, you're not only going to be a danger to yourself, you're going to be a danger to everybody else on your job site. And so really start talking about it from that standpoint. Um, do things like starting the conversation, you know, there's so the Construction Industry Alliance for Suicide Prevention, that's the organization that spun out of all of these efforts starting in 2016. And we've got um, a website, preventconstructionsuicide.com, and it's full of resources um, to just help with these conversations. So toolbox talks, I mean, that's just a, a natural um, kind of easy intro place that people are people are used to doing it people are used to experiencing that and so using a toolbox talk that talks about mental health and suicide prevention starting that conversation because once mm-hmm. the conversation starts and people start talking about it they become more comfortable than either asking for help or bringing it up or just starting but but if those words have never been spoken in a company before you you as the person dealing with an issue definitely don't want to be the per- the first person to kind of speak those words so yeah. so starting that conversation um you know putting hard hat stickers on you know starting you know having that's a great conversation starter is having a hard hat sticker that somebody can ask about you know what does that mean what's that for um and then uh, broadening out and really looking at your whole organization. And this is where that whole cultural piece, you know, comes into play. Um, we've got a tool. It's uh, the needs analysis and integration checklist. And so it's this whole tool kit that's live links. It's a PDF with links to all these resources and stuff. And it just helps you ask questions um, to yourself of, are we doing this stuff in our in our company? Do we have these protective factors built in? Um, check out your benefits. See what kind of behavioral health benefits are there. It's one thing. It doesn't do any good to tell tell people to go um, see a counselor if you're not providing the means for them to be able to do that. So take yeah. a look at your behavioral health benefits, see what they are and help people make that step. So, you know, back when we first started this, I would go through myself and go through the um, providers, you know, the, the behavioral health providers and call and make sure they really were taking new patients because you don't want to send some, you know, say, here's somebody to call and they call and it's going to be three months before they can get in. So really mm-hmm. understanding resources and helping connect people to a, to them. Um, I think that's one of the big things that companies need to understand. And it's definitely something that 
even scared me when I first started talking about this and definitely scares a lot of people is um, they think suddenly, okay, I'm going to start talking about this and I'm going to have to become everybody's counselor. And it's like, that's not the, you know, you don't suddenly have to become the fixer. You have to become the connection to the help that's needed. Um, so knowing where people can go for help is a really big piece of making that happen. Um, here in Phoenix, there's just these um, amazing resources coming out. There's this one company um, and they have now planted, they plant um, mental health professionals in primary care um, offices. So mm. again, it's part of this making it more normal. You know, your your brain's a part of your body. And so if you're taking care of your body, um, you know, you're taking care of kind of your whole, your, your mind is a part of that. And so the doctor, if you're, you know, at your kind of regular doctor, they can refer you right down the hall. And so you're going to a regular doctor's office. So it's not even like you're going like, I've got to go to this different place where somebody, somebody might see me go through the door of the counselor's office kind of thing. Um, so there's, there's so many resources out there. And I think that's one of the good things from um, one of the few good things that COVID brought us is this higher, this increased attention to mental health and um, put a lot of resources out, made a lot of more resources available than were there before. Um, so yeah, it's going through making sure that you have the stuff in place that can help people. Um, and then that you're not, um, you're not becoming part of the problem. So looking at some of your, um, company policies and how you handle things. So, um, you know, I, t I mentioned before, like root cause and going through what's the root cause of safety things. Well, when you look at kind of a lot of performance things, and again, this is based on knowing people and having a track record, but mm -hmm. you have the employee who um, has always been, you know, pretty good employee, shows up on time, does his job, doesn't cause any problems. And all of a sudden, showing up late three days a week, missing every mm -hmm. Monday, um, having near misses, you know, whatever it is. Traditional you know, business practices, you call that person in for a disciplinary meeting, you write them up and say, you know, if you're late again, you're fired kind of thing. Well, how about calling that person in and asking, hey, this is something that we've noticed is happening. Is there something going on? And I can tell you that in the years since I've made that shift, nine times out of 10, the answer is, yeah, there's something going on. My, mm -hmm. my wife's dealing with some health condition that I didn't, you know, we're trying to figure out, you know, my kid's in trouble and he's been, you know, is in trouble with drugs. My, you know, you hear the stories and, um, and this is at a company where we've always had a pretty good culture of, we thought of caring for people, but the thing is they still want that invitation. They're not going to, even if they feel safe talking to you, they need that invitation to kind of talk about it. And so hearing, and so then instead of firing somebody, losing a good employee and probably sending them, you know, much farther down a bad path, it's you're, you're hearing about it. You're, I mean, the performance still has to change. It's not like suddenly you're just saying, sure, you know, you're dealing with something coming late as, as often as you need to kind of thing. Um, but you're, you're addressing it from the place of caring for the person and helping identify that root cause and how can you help them with that? Um, and then, you know, just looking, so really studying and making sure that you don't have kind of policies and procedures in place that are making this problem worse rather than, you know, contributing towards fixing it. A lot of companies have those policies too. There's mm -hmm. a lot of roll with fear rather than care about people. Just fire them, just fire yeah. them, just fire them. It's, 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 it's been historically so easy. People are replaceable, fire them, get a new person. It doesn't work that way anymore. And I, I have such a big problem with company. Oh, these people just don't care anymore. It's, it's like, well, yeah, because you don't care about them. And if you care about them, they're going to return the favor. They want 
human beings on average, they want, they want to be cared for and they want to care for others, but you got to go first and you having that conversation with them, not firing them saying what's going on, just that you don't even need to get to the root problem necessarily. Just that first step says, I care about you and I want you to be in a better direction. Just that alone can change someone's life completely dramatically. And just that alone has probably never happened in their life with another employer. It's such a low bar, such a low bar. And we aren't perfect at this, but I feel like we've done a good job of telling people, especially just day one, like, hey, you're here for a reason. We care about you. We really sincerely care about you. We trust you. And in return, we, we get their care. We get their trust. But it's such a low bar. I think that's all fantastic. Again, going back to it just starts with talking about it. Mm-hmm. And there's that fallacy too. You're going to become everybody's counselor. I haven't become everybody's counselor. I've talked about it pretty publicly at this point. Most people aren't coming to me with their problems. They're asking me, how, how, so how'd you find your therapist? Oh, I did this, this, this. This may be where I'd start if, you were, if I were in your position. Okay, cool. And they, they go about it and they figure it out themselves. I feel like a lot of people want to figure it out themselves. They just need a little help along the way. Exactly. And uh, yeah, so I, I, people don't come to me with my problems, but mm-hmm. their problems, but they ask me how I figured this out. I tell them and then they go figure it out for themselves and it's worked out pretty well. I think those are all fantastic points. What, as an individual, I work for a construction company. Maybe I'm a, and, and, and it's going to be similar. But are there things I can do as an individual that differ? I can care for people. I can see if I can influence policies, as you explained. I can communicate, start with a toolbox talk. Uh, What else can I do as an individual? Yeah, be that leader. Show that being, show that caring for people isn't weak and that you're going to be, you know, if you're that foreman who cares for his people, you're going to be a lot more successful than the guy who just yells at his people all day long. it's that same thing, you know, just like in, if management cares for the people, they're going to care more for the company. If you care for your crew, um, they're going to work harder for you. Um, so kind of prove, dispel that, help dispel that fallacy that um, being tough and mean is the way, you know, the the means to an end. Um, so yeah, care for people, um, be open to listening and be open to asking that question. Um of, you know, are you okay? Is something going on? Um, not being afraid to uh, open yourself up to to be a help to somebody, just knowing that sometimes that's all they need. They just need to talk. They just need to know that they're they're heard. Um, and then again, all those resources that I talked about are available to anybody. You know, it's not locked down to companies or locked down by anything. It's open. So if you want to kind of be the leader who goes out and finds a toolbox, talk to do um, with your crew or bring it up or, you know, order up a hard hat sticker to put on your hard hat, whatever it is. Um, those, those things are there. Um, and then just also yourself be familiar with what, what do I do if, if I'm worried about somebody? So there's, there's trainings that are available on that website. There's, you know, kind of, there's some videos that you can watch that take you through. I think they're going to be available on um, the training app soon, the videos that we have. Um, but what do you do? How do you have that conversation if you're, um, concerned about somebody? So, just kind of educating yourself so that you're prepared if you see somebody that you think um, is in need of help. Um, that's that would be that would be where to start. Well, that that's the exciting thing about the video training we're putting together too. It, it create it it offers some anonymity. Like I don't have to go necessarily talk to someone to learn about this. I can go watch a video on my own to learn about it. 
and get these skills without necessarily having to admit, I don't know, or I want to learn more about this, which I think gives the industry greater access to the information they need. Um, I also, there was a conversation I had with someone the other day and he said, uh, he, he basically told his crew, he was in construction. I think it was residential construction, something like that, but he told his crew, Hey, I'm going to be having weekly Bible study at the Chick-fil-A. Uh, if you want to stop by, I'll be there, you know, Wednesday nights at when, whenever, or before work, maybe even. And, uh, he said, I, I didn't anticipate anybody showing up and uh, quite a few guys on his crew actually showed up and they actually started having meaningful conversations with one another. So it doesn't even necessarily have to be on the job site. Right. It's someone, and, and he was a craft worker. He wasn't the foreman or anything like mm-hmm. that. He just spoke up and said, hey, this is what I believe in. And we're going to be talking more. I'm going to be talking more about it or reading more about it. And this is where I'll be weekly. If you're curious, stop by. And it gave other people on the site an opportunity to learn more, be more vulnerable off the job site rather than that tough, hardcore construction world they're used to. Mm-hmm. I thought that was that was very interesting. So as an individual, how can you create opportunities like that? Maybe it's not Bible study. Maybe it is. But how can you create opportunities like that to have conversations that aren't necessarily on the job site because the job site's associated with toughening it out, Mm -hmm. getting the work done. There's production you got to meet. So if you're standing around talking, you're going to go get yelled at, whatever it is. There's still, I think, opportunities beyond just the job site to talk to people and care about people. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's that's such a great example. Um, And like when you said the anonymity, the anonymous nature of doing the videos and stuff. That's the, you know, there's training, there's this living works training. That's what we kind of promote through the CISP and it's available on the website and you can get it for free Mm. um, through there. And that's all online based. And so you can do it kind of on your own and, you know, you don't have to sit with a group and do it. Um, You know, you can do it on your own. Um, The other thing that I thought of when you're talking was our, um, there's a screening tool on the website. And I think that's a great for somebody who's never talked about mental health before, or you, you kind of go like, I hear people talking about this and maybe I've got something going on. I don't know. It's a, um, it's through MindWise and it's a, a, a screening tool and you just kind of go through and answer questions and it kind of gives you that baseline of like, hey, here's some things you might want to watch out for, you know, and stuff. So it's a great way to kind of learn more about yourself and understand kind of your own mental health. And even if yours is doing great, it helps you just by doing it, it helps you become aware of some things that other people might be experiencing or dealing with that could help you kind of identify things or even know how to phrase questions or you know, talk to somebody about it. And this is a... a- a dumb question, but it's important. It's, it's, it's cool that, that you're, you talk about this, you're pushing this openly because you have, you have the industry experience, you know, what the heck's going on. You work for a well-respected company in the Phoenix area. Is your company better off for doing a lot of this stuff or, or worse off? I mean, you, you know, the company, you know, the financial position of the company. Has this been a positive change for the business? hundred percent. Yeah. No regrets for sure. Um, Again, it's that trust. It's that people believing that you, they care, you care about them. And we always have like, and I think maybe that's why it's been easy because our culture has always been one of care. That's awesome. When you're talking about the Bible study, I just learned the other day that our founder, Arvid, 
Jr., so Arvid that I work with now, his dad, um, years ago, he used to do a Bible study with the crews one day a week. Mm. You know, and just again, if you want to come in half an hour early before shift starts, I'll be here to do this. And so that's mm. really been such a foundational element of our culture. So that care has always been there. But for people to know um, that they're 100% safe to bring things up that at other places they're afraid might get them fired or might get them, you know, kind of looked down on not not the person to get the promotion or something because they're weak. Um, it's been great. And to watch them um, try to help each other. So I don't know because I'm not out in the field with the crews on a daily basis. So I don't know the conversations that are going on peer to peer, but I know that they'll come in. I've had lots of opportunities when the guys come in here and they're like, Hey, they'll tell me something. I think something's going on with this guy. I'm not exactly sure how to deal with it, but they kind of enlighten me so that I can start paying attention that I can have that conversation. So just Mm -hmm. that fact that that peer to peer care, um, is there, I mean, that's awesome. Cause then those are relationships that are forming. And so, you know, they're, that's going to be one more factor that if somebody gets a job offer to go down the road for, you know, a couple dollars an hour and they look at, Hey, I've got these friends here who really care about me. That's, that's going to connect them, um, much tighter than kind of anything, any other sort of incentive that you can give, I believe. Totally. Totally. And I, I, uh, what I've had to recognize too with people is that it's, it's, I don't, I don't know if this is the best analogy, but it's like, you know, when animals are, are, are abused, you can tell they've been abused and they don't trust people and they're, they're very untrusting and you need to take a lot of time and care for that extra, extra care for that animal to get them back to that trusting, happy state. But then they can, they can get back there. And then once they are, it's like, hope oh, this is a different, this is a different animal. This is amazing. This transformation. People are pretty similar to that too. People, I think, are abused in the workplace yep. by a lot of the historic historical policies. They've been abused for their whole career. And so some of these people, especially the more experienced people with more abuse, need more time to you, you got to unravel their previous abuse and get them comfortable with a new level of caring that they've just never had before. And so I've realized some people just don't catch on right away. It takes time to chip away. And sometimes it takes a year. Sometimes it takes two years. Sometimes it takes a long time to break through with certain individuals that have been abused nonstop. But 10 out of 10 times, is it worth it? And when you see that breakthrough happen, you're like, they get it. And this is amazing. And now they become your essentially your best spokesperson on that subject. And they can influence so many more people so much more effectively than you can. It's, but it's, it's everybody views, not everybody, but humans are largely viewed as an input in this industry. Mm-hmm. They're all just a laborer is a laborer. An operator is an operator. And that's just not true. Everyone's completely different. And that's totally changed my perspective. I don't know where this person's come from. I don't know who has led this person. Like something that it's made me really think. People, like some people are, are afraid to talk to me at the company because I, because my name's on the company. And I'm like, why, what have I done? I make it personal. What the hell have I done to make this person? I'm like, I'm the biggest idiot in the world. I'm on the podcast. every. I am so vulnerable. Like they should know that they can come talk to me about anything. And I'm like, they should know that I'm not going to be mad at that or whatever it is. But then I recognize, oh, they are projecting past experience on, I have worked for these people 
these people were the people that owned my business and this is how they acted. And I'm going to project it over here because that's what I know. And I've had to recognize, ah, oh, so they, they are just carrying their past experiences with them. Mm-hmm. And I need to do a better job, just not take it personally and nurturing them to get them to where they need to be over here. That was right. very long winded, but that's what made me think about just everybody's coming into the business in a different state. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody has a, has, has a history and comes into it with something else. And so rather than punishing that, if we can learn, if we can, you know, build off of it and grow with it and help them grow and become more, like you said, nobody's going to be more loyal than that person who's had help. Um, and the other thing, and I think this is just really, um, again, to kind of create those teams and that, that environment where conversations can happen is that, you know, you said, you know, an operator is an operator and a laborer is a laborer. And what we try to drill into our like entry level people when they come in here is like, yeah, you're, you might be just starting out and you might know less than anybody else on the job site, but we can't do the job without you. Like, it doesn't matter. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that this guy has 10 years of experience and you have zero. We still, you're, we absolutely have to have you just like we absolutely have to have him. And so building in that, again, it goes back to that sense of purpose, that sense of pride of I may, I know absolutely nothing, but this job doesn't happen if I'm not here. And so then that's helping them have pride and that also building that respect. in. so one of our values is mutual respect. And it's, it's a hundred percent like the, the person who's been here the longest better give the person who's been here the shortest, the same amount mm. of respect as they would kind of, it, it's, it's, it's bilateral, you know, it's, it goes up and down the spectrum of everybody respect one another. And if you give it, you're going to get it. And so, um, you know, it, it feeds that, but it creates that environment where, um, you know, try to break down those walls of that new person who may be struggling, not wanting to ask for help because they think like, uh, they're just going to get rid of me if I don't know it. But if they really believe that they're valuable and the person that they're asking for help really believes they, they need that person and they need to help that person, um, that's going to go, you know, across the spectrum, whether it's a mental health issue or whether it's learning how to do the job to be successful in the industry. Um, it's, it's across the board. So it's um, that sense of respect that we have to, and like you said, some people don't have that respect even for themselves. So it's hard to, to get them to, to give that to others. But if we can build everybody up um, with, that, with that sense of self-respect and then that respect for others, um, that's a big, big foundational element. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, well, I've, I've recognized too, on a final point here, some people won't respect other people because they haven't been respected. Mm-hmm. And they, well, this is how I was taught. I was taught with the tough love. So I have to dish that out to other people because they can't, I cannot let them have it easier than I had it. They have to mm-hmm. earn their way too. And it's such, it's such a flawed, it's, it's such flawed logic. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you were abused. Yeah. You were yelled at uh, your, your whole upbringing. That's great. Uh, but you know, were you stoked on that? Did that make you feel good? I feel a little bit of resentment right now. So you're just going to take all of those feelings and put them onto other people. That's not cool. Just because you were raised that way or taught that way. I, again, I understand the hard work, learning lessons for yourself, never giving up. I understand all of those sound principles, but that doesn't mean you also need to abuse people like you were abused. It, it, and if you stop, if you break that pattern, it makes everybody better off and you're going to have a lot more fun. You don't need to be miserable at work every day. You don't. That's not the only way to do it. You can actually have a good time, especially while you work hard. It's not the hard work that makes it a bad time. I mean, not every day is great. It's like right. you get your, your pit full of 20 foot of water. <laughs> That's not necessarily the best day, but on average, you can have a good time. You don't need to be miserable. 
And if you're making people feel valued, you're building a team, you're caring for one another, that's so rewarding and you're, you're, you're going to have a great time. Absolutely. Um, so where, where again can people find resources? Uh, preventconstructionsuicide.com. It's all there. That's very it's simple. All, yeah, super. It's right in the, the instructions right in the, in the name. So it's all there. It's all free. Um, and we are working right now. We're just kind of finished a whole strategic planning and we've, we're working to, um, work with some best in class companies that have been doing this really well to create, um, a really clear pathway. Like here's 10 steps to, to do this in your company mm -hmm. and here's the exact tool. So literally a toolkit that we can send out to people who say, Hey, I want to do this. Um, really trying to take as much of the work and effort out of it. Um, but again, it, it has to come from that sense of uh, I'm doing this from a place of I want to care for people. I want to build a culture where people feel cared for. Um, and then, you know, once you've got that, then we want to provide the tools to to take you take you the rest of the way. So um, that will be coming hopefully early next year that will be available. But everything's, all the tools that will go into that are already there. We just don't have them quite packaged mm -hmm. in the step-by-step -step process, but but it's all sure. there. Awesome. Yeah, that's it's very simple. And I like how it's been built by contractors. You're a contractor, everybody else's contract. It's been, yep. been created by this industry because mm -hmm. the industry recognized we have a problem. Um, and, and I know that's important for other contractors to adopt it. So that's, it's, it's cool that this has all been born from people doing the work, recognizing there's a problem. Let's do something about it. Absolutely. Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks, Michelle. I appreciate you talking to us about this. Thank you, Aaron. And thanks for just all the attention that you're bringing to this. And, um, we just really appreciate it again. It's, it's about building that step one is building the awareness and having people see that there's a need out there. So uh, thank you for all you're doing to make that happen. We're doing our best. Yeah. I'm, I'm obviously a big believer in this. It's because it goes hand in hand with solving the workforce problem. And that's everybody's biggest problem. So uh, it's just, to me, it's a no brainer, but I, I want everything to be happy, you know, happening yesterday. I'm, I'm still in my twenties and I recognize it's a, it's a process. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's a podcast. <laughs>